0: And uh, so it's a good day, good night to be in church. How many of you brought your Bible? Will you hold up the Word of God all over the building? And join me, if you will now, over in the New Testament, the book of 2 Thessalonians, chapter number 2. 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2. Now, I have an old Scofield Bible, and if you have one, that's page number 1,272, or 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2, and we'll be in this chapter here in just a moment. Uh, thank you again for coming. Let me encourage you now. Be back on Sunday. Come excited. Be praying. And uh, let's ask the Lord just to help us on this coming Lord's Day in our Evangelistic Revival meeting. Then uh, we need to pray for Brother Baker, Brother Roger Baker. Brother Baker's over in Japan right now, and so we want to pray for him for a great time while he's there, Traveling Grace on his way back. And also Brother Ron Smith and his family in Cambodia. Please remember to pray for both of them, Brother Baker and the Smith family as well. And let's ask God to take care of our folks that are out uh, as missionaries preaching the Word of God. I always try to pray for our our missionaries. Of course, all of them are our missionaries, but these have a special place in my heart because they're members of our church here, and so we really want to pray for them. Brother Mark and I was out visiting on Monday night, and we was over here off of Old Hollow Road and one of these Pepsi trucks. Uh, had pulled up, we need to pray for this guy, but had pulled up and he kind of, when he did, he pulled up on an incline sideways. And what happened was when he got out, I guess, to get his drinks out of the Pepsi truck or whatever and he slid the side up, the pallet of of entire drinks had just come out of the side and just literally, I mean, he was under all of that. And so he really needs our prayers. Somebody say, did it hurt him? No, it was soft drinks. Now, if y'all will follow Brother Lyons on that old snake story, y'all ought to follow me on that. Soft drinks, April Fools. By the way, I didn't have any concept Sunday night when I said it was going to be ice this week. I hadn't hadn't watched the weather nor anything, and I felt like the Lord was saying, keep on, keep it (laughs) up. You could keep, keep joking around like that. And so anyway, I'm glad to be here tonight. All right, right, Second Thessalonians chapter 2. If you're there, would you say amen? amen? Let's have prayer. Father, would you bless your word and speak to our hearts tonight, I pray, from the Bible. Anybody that may be in this building tonight that's not saved, God, I pray for them, realizing the lateness of the hour, prophetically speaking, understanding what's about to take place on this earth behooves urges one to get saved, to get right with God immediately. And I pray you'd help them to do that in this service tonight, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you've been with us in these Wednesday night services recently that I've been here, then you will recall that we're in a long series of sermons that I have entitled Understanding the Bible in 20 Cs. What I'm attempting to do is to break the whole Bible down and there are 66 books There's 1,189 chapters, 31,102 verses, 788,000 plus words in our King James Bible. I am attempting to break the entire Bible down into only 20 words. And to add insult to injury, I'm not only attempting to break the Bible down into 20 words, but I'm trying to get all 20 of these words to begin with the letter C, all right? So we're 20 Cs to understanding the Bible. Now, if I've got them counted right tonight, I think this will be number 17, the 17th C word to understanding the Bible. So we hadn't done this in a while, so let's just real quickly, let's work through these words. I'm going to go section by section by section by section, all right? And let's see how well, after a month off, that you remember the C words. The first C word to understanding the Bible is the word the word creation. All right, this crowd got theirs right. The word creation. God created everything that there is. Now that's Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. It's amazing to me that God in only two chapters told us how everything that there is, including you and me, got into this world and God is behind it all. You're not an accident. You're not just some primordial slob that, that, that wiggled its way up out of a swamp somewhere. You are the... Are the product of of a divine creator, God in heaven created you and created this world that we're living on. So the first word is the word? Then we move from the word creation to the word? The word corruption. That's Genesis chapter 3. Now we understand that when God created the world, he put Adam and Eve in a perfect place on a perfect planet and they were perfect people. But you and I know by living on this earth today that that's no longer the case. Something has happened to this perfect world that God created. And that's where the word corruption comes in. And by the way, thank God that Genesis chapter 3 is in our Bible because had it not been that chapter being in our Bible, we'd be in a mess and not even know how we got here. So in Genesis 3, we understand how that Adam and Eve sinned against God, disobeyed God, and when that happened, God brought a curse not only upon them but upon the whole world. So now we have things like disease, we have disasters, we have uh, have death simply because mankind disobeyed God in the garden of Eden. So we've got corruption. Then the next C word is the word... Catastrophe. We understand that the corruption got so bad until God finally decided that it was going to destroy the world. So God brought a catastrophe upon the world in the form of a flood in the days of Noah. And God wiped out all of civilization and would have wiped out all of humanity had it not been for those first four or five words of Genesis 6 verse 7 where the Bible said that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Aren't you glad you found grace? In the eyes of the Lord. So there's catastrophe. The next C word is the word I'm worried about this crowd over here. But it's the word confusion. That's right. Because we understand that after Noah and his family, Noah, his wife, and their three boys, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, stayed on that ark for a year and ten days. I mean, they just didn't jump off after the 40 days of rain. I mean, for a year and ten days, it took a year and ten days for those waters to recede, and finally that ark came to rest. And after a year and ten days, Noah and his family stepped off into a brand new world, a freshly cleansed world, and God gave them the responsibility to replenish the earth. And mankind was of one accord and of one language and of one culture. And God at the Tower of Babel He not only only separated and segregated the families of the earth in those days, but God brought great confusion upon man. And that's where we now understand that the different races and the different nationalities and the different languages and the different cultures came into being from the confusion at the Tower of Babel. Now we're back over here again and we come to the next C word and that is the word... The word choosing. Boy, thank you all for this corner right here. The word choosing. Because God reached down into the whole of humanity. All of humanity, and God picked one man out of all of humanity. God told that man, I'm going to make you a race of people, a nation of people, and you are going to be exclusively mine. That man was Abraham, and that race was the Jewish race, the nation of Israel. God chose them. God didn't choose America. God didn't choose England, God didn't choose Russia or China or anybody else. God chose the nation of Israel to be his own exclusive people. And by the way, you may not like President Trump, and that's neither here nor there with me, but I want to tell you this. I thank God for the things that he has done to show our support for the Jewish nation, the nation of Israel. I want to say again that that Israel does not depend upon America for its survival, but America depends upon Israel for its survival. We always better have the back of the nation of Israel. Amen and amen. Choosing. Then we understand after the choosing came... Boy, I tell you, this is a good crowd right here. I tell you, they don't look like much, but they're a good crowd. I'll tell you that. Confinement. That race of people consisting of only 70 people. So the nation of Israel, as we end the book of Genesis, it consists of 70 70 citizens in the nation of Israel. They go into the land of Egypt. They begin to multiply like crazy, and Pharaoh places them in confinement. And we understand then how the nation of Israel, for 400 years, stays in slavery in the land of Egypt. But after the confinement comes the... In the camping, because God delivered them from the nation of Israel. A uh, man by the name of Moses went down there. And through a series of judgments, God brought his people out of the nation of Israel, and for 40 years they began camping in the wilderness. That's all the way up through uh, the book of Deuteronomy. And then we have the next C word, and that's the word... Conquering, they cross the Red Sea, uh, across the Jordan River and they move into the land of Canaan and they begin to take possession of the land of Canaan which leads us to the next sea. Crowning, weaker but right. <laughs> Crowning. The kings come on the scene and there are some, five hundred for a period of over 500 years, there's some... 40 different kings that reigns over the nation of Israel during the crowning period. And then the next C is the word captivity. captivity. At the end of the king stage of the Bible or the crown stage of the Bible, the nation of Israel, after rebelling against God, goes off into captivity. The southern kingdom goes off into the Babylonian captivity. The northern kingdom into the Assyrian captivity. So there's the word captivity which leads us to the next word and that's the word Construction, right. You see, when they attacked the city of Jerusalem, the Babylonians destroyed the house of God. So God allowed a remnant after the captivity to go back to the city of Jerusalem to begin the process of rebuilding the broken-down house of God and repairing the walls that had been breached during the attack of the Babylonians. So we have the construction period. Then the next C is the word the very first word of the New Testament. As we come across the 400 years of silence into the New Testament, we run headlong into the Lord Jesus himself. And the four Gospels are all about Jesus. And then, of course, how could we have the word Christ leading us to the next word, which is the word... The word cross because the sole purpose of Jesus coming into the world was to die on the cross. Those gospels not only tell us about Jesus, but they tell us about his death on the cross. Thank God for the cross of Calvary. You and I are saved today because of the finished work of the Son of God on the cross of Calvary. Amen and amen. So the word cross. And then the next word after the word cross is the word the word comforter we understand that after jesus died laid in the grave for 3 days rose again 40 days later ascended back to heaven 50 days after his resurrection or on the day of Pentecost, the Comforter, the Holy Ghost, came into the world. And the Holy Ghost is in this world even to this very day and he's here to help the people of God, to bring conviction and to comfort and to help us as we live for God. Thank God for the Holy Spirit, which leads us to the next sea, and that is the word... The word church. That's right. On the same day the Spirit of God came into the world, the Holy, uh, the, the Holy Spirit came, the church was born on the day of Pentecost. And thank God for the church. Amen. Because it was through the church that I heard the message about Christ and the cross. Thank God for the church. Aren't you glad we got a church tonight? Church. Then after the church, the next C word is the word? Coming. The word coming. Jesus is coming. Again, Now, we understand from our Bible, our Bible is all about the coming of Jesus. Now, the Old Testament says, says this. The Old Testament says that Jesus will come. That's through all the prophecies and all the rituals and the sacrifices the Old Testament were saying to you and me, hey, one of these days, the perfect sacrifice is going to come. Jesus will come. We come to the four Gospels, and the four Gospels tell us this, that Jesus has come. You see, historically, everything we know about Jesus, we find from the four Gospels. And those four Gospels tell us that the Jesus, the Old Testament said, will come. The four Gospels said, oh, let us tell you, thank God Jesus has come. But then beginning in the book of Acts and going through the rest of the Bible, our Bible tells us this, that Jesus is coming. And tonight, you and I are sitting in this room waiting on the coming of Jesus. Let me show you a good verse right here. Look at this verse. The Bible said over in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 10 that we are to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. So what we're doing tonight in this room, we're sitting here, and we're waiting for Jesus to come again. That 16th word is the word coming. Now, wait a minute. As we wait, we occupy. We don't just sit around, we occupy, we work till Jesus comes. But now this leads us to the 17th C word to understand the Bible. So after coming, the next word is the word calamity. The word calamity. You see, after the Lord Jesus comes from heaven, comes back again, the Bible said that he is coming to take us, save people, off the earth. He's coming to get us and to carry us back to heaven. And then upon the earth will come a time of great calamity, great calamity upon the earth. Now, once again, let me just say this. We believe emphatically. We believe dogmatically. We believe without any reservations or hesitations that Jesus will come back before the tribulation period begins for his church. We believe in a pre... If you say, Preacher, I don't know what I believe about that. Look at me. Let me tell you what you believe. You're a pre-tribulationist. You say, I I don't know if I am or not. Well, I'm telling you, you are. That's what you are. We are pre-tribulations. That means we believe that Jesus will come back before the tribulation period begins. Or can I use our C word? Before the calamity begins on this earth. I find no comfort in a mid-trib rapture. I find no comfort in a post-trib rapture. But I do find great comfort in the fact that Jesus is coming again before the calamity on this earth Begins. Now, I had you to open your Bible to Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Now, I want you to look at me because I've got to tell you something. I'm not dealing, I'm not dealing with the trumpets and the vials and the bowls. I'm not dealing with the thunders tonight. I mean, man, how in the world can you cover all that in one sermon? So I tried on purpose to stay away from all that when dealing with the calamity, the, the, the tribulation period that's going to come upon the earth. So what I'm trying to do is just to give an aerial view. You know, when, in our day, we're living in days when they use these drones a lot. You know that? And they fly around in these drones. They fly over your house. Some people shoot them down. That's right. They don't want them flying over their house. So they just take a shotgun out there and they just shoot them out of the sky or something. But I want to give you an aerial view of this calamity period. I want to give you a drone's eye view, just a general idea of what's going to happen during this time of the great calamity that's going to come upon the earth. So grab your prayer sheets now at 749. Boy, have we got to hurry. So let's talk about three things. First of all, number one, let's talk about the events declared. The events declared. Now, I want you to begin with verse 3, and let me read this to you. Here's what the Bible, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things? And now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, what I've just read to you there is in in miniature form. I have just, and a microcosm is is a picture of the entire tribulation period. And what I want to do is just give you an aerial view. Let's talk a little bit about the events declared. Now, these verses in this text clue us in on the fact of the events of the end times. And I believe with all of my heart, those events are at hand. I believe, can I say it like this? I believe. That all of the events that we're going to talk about tonight that are going to take place on this earth are at the door. I believe that everything we're going to talk about is immediately, is immediately about to happen. But, but there's something keeping the door closed right now. There's a couple of things that have got to happen before the further events that we're going to talk about are going to take place. Now, I want you to see these two things that must happen before the end comes. First of all, look, if you will, at verse number 3, and we understand there's going to be a defection of the saints. A defection of the saints. Look at verse 3. Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day, what about day is he talking about? The day that the Antichrist is going to be revealed. The day that the calamity begins. That day shall not come until this happens except there come a falling away first, a defection of the saints. A falling away of the saints. That means a defection or departure. Or let me give you this. What it really means in our terminology, an apostasy. An apostasy is a turning away from the faith, a turning away from the truth. Can I tell you something? That we are, you and I are living in the days of an apostasy. When people are turning away from the truth, they're turning away from the faith. There is a defection, a, a departure from... The truth. Hey, brother, let me tell you something. That's not only possible, that's happening right before our very eyes. Many churches and many pastors and many believers are forsaking the Word of God today for the sake of acceptance and accommodation. We today, and not every church, but the church in general, is more interested in blending in than they are standing out they're more interesting in being accepting. And we've almost come to the place that we're apologetic for the stand that we take. Oh, brother, you mean tell you what that is? That is a departure from the faith. Listen, I don't want to stand with an arrogant and a hateful spirit. I don't want to be like that, but at the same time, it is what it is. The truth is truth. The Bible is the Word of God. And, brother, we stand upon the Word of God and we, and we believe and we preach what the Word of God has to say. It's time for us to stand up for the truth. It's time for us to speak up for the truth. It's time for us to show up for the truth. It's time for God's people to not run from the truth in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the sense of acceptance and tolerance. Brother, I'm telling you, the Bible is right regardless of what's going on in our society today. There's a departure. I'm sorry, a defection of the saints. We're living in these days when we're seeing that right before our very eyes. I mean, many churches today in our world, many churches no longer even preach the Bible. I mean, man, in in many churches today, they've so totally they've become apologetic for what the Bible has to say. Friend, we need to stand for the truth. There's a defection of the saints. But then, did you notice this? Look again at verse number six and verse seven. There is a departure of the spirit. Now, all this has got to happen before the end begins. In other words, the saints have got to defect. We're seeing that. You and I both know. Look, I was saved. I got—I was saved in 1900, and uh, I got saved in 1979. Now, to me, I don't know about. Y'all, but I probably seems a long time to go for some of y'all, but I tell you, it don't seem like it's been that long ago. And I mean, pretty much when you walked into a church, and if that church said it was an independent Baptist church, you pretty much knew what you was going to get when you got on the inside. Can I tell you something? You have no idea what you're going to get anymore when you go to church. I mean, even the independent Baptist church. I mean, man, they're jamming for the Lamb, and and I mean, it's just unbelievable what's going on in the church because we are departing from the faith. We're departing from the truth. There's a departure of the saints but then there's going to be a, a defection of the saint. There's going to be a departure of the Spirit. Now look at verse 7. The Bible said, "...for the mystery of iniquity doth already work." Can I put those words in Forsyth County language? It's already bad now. That's what that, that phrase is saying. The mystery of iniquity uh, doth already work. It's already bad now. I mean, we, we didn't dare, I hope you didn't, leave your house tonight without locking your doors. We wouldn't dare think of leaving our house today for those of us that have those security codes. We set those security codes. We wouldn't dare. Many of you, when you got to church tonight, first thing you did when you got out of your car, the week, and you locked your doors of your car. Many of you are walking into this building tonight and you're packing, and not lunch neither. <laughs> and you don't leave home without it, like American Express. You know why? It's already bad now. I mean, it's terrible what's going on now. But you just wait till the Holy Spirit leaves this world. Look at verse 7. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth. And that's an old English word, and it means hindereth. Only he who now hindereth will let or hinder until he be taken out of the way. Now, we, we, we know that what we're talking about here is a person because we have the personal pronoun. He, until he be taken out of the way. Uh, the Bible talks about that in verse number 7, only he who now led it. So we understand that evidently here's the Antichrist, here's the end times, they're ready to step on the on the stage, but somebody's holding the door shut. And Let me tell you who that somebody is. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit right now that is in this world is keeping in check... As bad as it is, and it is bad, but I'm going to tell you something. Imagine what it would be like without the restraining work of the Holy Spirit in this world and without the influence and the impact of the church in this world. I mean, imagine what would happen if all the praying people of this world left. Oh, my goodness. I kind of got it in my mind the only thing that's holding the judgment of God back on America is the praying people. The redeemed people, the saved people, they were the only thing that kept the judgment of God from falling on Sodom was righteous people. But, but you let the righteous people get out of here and the praying people get out of here. And then you let the Holy Spirit leave this world. Somebody said, I'll tell you what's going to be a whole lot better off. Who are you kidding, friend? It's not going to be better off. It is going to be terrible when the Spirit of God leaves. What's the church referred to in the Bible? Salt. What does salt do? Well, it doesn't prevent corruption, but it does slow down the process of corruption. You know, when they used to catch fish in those days, in the days of Jesus, when they caught fish to prevent those fish from spoiling, they packed them in salt because salt slowed down the process of corruption. Let me tell you what the church is doing in the world. They are supposed to be doing. We're not halting the process of corruption, but we should be slowing it down. But when we leave and when the Holy Spirit leaves, I'm here to tell you corruption is going to spread like wildfire. That's right. He's going to be taken out of the way. He's going to be removed, and the Spirit of God is now standing there keeping the door shut, keeping the, the events of the end times from walking out. But when the Spirit of God leaves, I'm here to tell you those events are going to happen in rapid succession. But aren't you glad God's going to get us out of here before that happens? God got Noah preserved before the flood came. And God got Lot out of Sodom before the the judgment of God fell. And I'm thankful the same Holy Spirit, ladies and gentlemen, is going to take us out of this world when Jesus comes again. The events declared. There's going to be a, a defection of the saints. There's going to be a departure of the Spirit. Now, when that happens, that leads me to the next thing, and that's this, the enemy described. Now, the first thing that happens, listen to me now, the first thing that happens when the Holy Spirit leaves or steps aside, right now, he's keeping the doors closed. The Antichrist, all those events that are going to take place that we read about in the book of Revelation, they're at the door. But the Holy Spirit's keeping the door closed right now. But when the church leaves, the Spirit of God's going to step aside and the doors are going to fling open. And the very first person that walks out on the the, the spotlight of the public stage is none other than the Antichrist. He is going to come on the scene. He is going to capture the attention and the affection of the world. You and I both know that right now that our world is ready for such an individual. We right now are ripe to receive Satan's Antichrist. He's going to come upon the scene. And with winsome words, he's going to be able to convince people that up is down, that black is white, that good is bad, that wrong is right, and he'll have people swooning at his feet. One writer that I read behind said this, he'll be able to convince people to cut their mama's throat and feel good about it. That's the kind of individual... That's going to step out when the Holy Spirit steps aside. That's right. Let me tell you what kind of an individual he's going to be. Don't, I didn't put this in your notes, but let me tell you. First of all, he's going to be an intellectual genius. An intellectual genius. Probably don't have time for this, but I do want to read this one to you. Daniel chapter 8, verse 23 says this In the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to the full, a king of fierce countenance. And watch this now and understanding dark sentences shall stand up. That's prophecy about the Antichrist. Notice that phrase, understanding dark sentences. That simply means he's going to be an intellectual genius. He's going to be an oratorical genius. Genius! Look at this verse right here, Daniel 11, verse 36. And the king, uh, let's let me read on down here. Look at that right in the middle. It says this: He shall magnify himself above every god and shall speak marvelous things against the God of God. He's going to be an oratorical genius. He's going to be a political genius. That's right. Daniel chapter 9, verse 27 talks about him confirming the covenant with the nation of Israel. The first thing he's going to do when he steps out behind uh, from the door onto the stage. Of of a public spotlight. First thing he's going to do is make a peace treaty with the nation of Israel for one week, the Hebrew word heptad or a 7-year period. How long is the time of calamity? How long is the tribulation period? 7 years. The first thing he's going to do is sign a peace treaty with the nation of Israel. He's going to be a political, a political genius he's going to be a commercial genius daniel 11 verse number 43 talks about him controlling the silver and the gold he's going to be a military genius revelation chapter 6 verse 2 talks about him riding upon a white horse and he has a bow but no arrows and he goes forth conquering and to conquer he's going to be a religious genius revelation 13 and verse number eight talks about the multitudes bowing and worshiping him he's going to be Satan's superman. Amen. And he's going to step out when the Holy Spirit yeah. steps aside. Amen. Now, if you look in our text, I'll show you three things real fast about him. First of all, notice, number one, if you will, that he situates himself. Look at verse 4. Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worship. The, the, two, th- the two places that he situates. Them. Number one, he situates himself against God because he opposes and he exalts us all that is about God. He's going to situate himself against God and he's going to situate himself as God. According to verse number 4, he's going, to, as he, he's going to sit in that temple and the Bible said that so that he as God. So he's against God and he's as God. He situates himself. Number 2, notice this, he seats himself. Look again at verse 4. The Bible said that he sits in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. Now, hold on just a minute. We've got to stop just real fast. And let me just say this. There ain't no temple of God right now. There is no no house of God over there right now. When uh, Herod and the Romans attacked uh, in A.D. 70, when uh, Titus, the Roman emperor, attacked the city of Jerusalem, he destroyed the temple, Herod's temple. And from that day to this day, there's been no temple there. Evidently, however, During the tribulation period, if the devil's going to sit himself up in the temple of God and show himself that he is God, the temple is going to have to be rebuilt. Would that not make common sense? There's one problem with that. The place where the temple is going to sit right now, there's a Muslim mosque there. It's called the Dome of the Rock. And that is the hot spot of the entire world, politically speaking. That one little place is the... What all the turmoil is about in the land of Israel is that one little hot spot where the Dome of the Rock is, where a Muslim mosque is. That's got to be somehow taken out of the hands of the Muslims, given back to the Jewish people so they can erect the temple of God there so that Satan, the Superman, the Antichrist can rebuild the temple and set himself up as God. What a political genius he is going to have to be because there have been prime ministers at Israel there have been presidents in the United States. There have been leaders in Egypt. They have all tried to bring about peace to that one spot, and none of them can do it until Satan Superman comes along. And one of the very first things that he does is he reconstructs the temple right there where that Muslim mosque is now. Isn't that amazing? He situates himself. He seats himself. But then look at this. He also shows himself. What's he showing himself to be? Look at verse, eight, verse 4, showing himself that he is God. Now, how does he show to people that I'm God? Look down at verse, number, uh, verse, verse 9. Even him who's coming is after the working of Satan. Notice this now, with all power and signs and lying wonders. Isn't that amazing? He's going to come on the scene. He's going to be able to do great miracles. You do understand that not everybody who does miracles is of God, don't you? The devil can do miracles. In fact, let me tell you this. During the time of the tribulation period, one is going to be wounded in his head, and the Bible said he's going to be miraculously restored back to life again from the dead by the Antichrist. Listen, not, not all miracles are of God. Not all signs and wonders are of God. This is Satan's Superman. He's going to be Satan incarnate. The devil is literally going to live in this man. Just as Jesus was God in the flesh, the Antichrist is going to be the devil in flesh. And he will accomplish his one and only and ultimate desire, and that is to be worshipped. Look again at verse 4. He, he opposeth all uh, and exalted himself, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he... The devil has always wanted one thing, and that's this. You do remember, that's what got him in trouble to start with. He was Lucifer. And what did he want? He wanted worship. He's always wanted worship. He even said to the Son of God, if you'll fall down and worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. He's always wanted worship. And what's he going to get in the tribulation period? He's going to get worship. I'll tell you this, listen to me. The devil is far more interested in converts than he is casualties. All we think about, boy, the devil wants to destroy life. Really what he wants to do is he wants people to fall down and worship him. And Satan's superman is going to come on the scene. So there we have it. Now, we've got the events declared. We've got the enemy described. But then look at verse 8 and we're done. There is the end determined. So what's going to happen to this satanic superman? Look at verse number 8. And then shall that wicked be revealed. But thank God for these next words whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming." Right there, ladies and gentlemen, in the space of about, what, 10, 12 words, is the whole battle of Armageddon right there. Satan is going to maneuver his his military, his armies, into the valley of Jehoshaphat. There's going to be a tremendous war that's going to break out or about to break out. Satan. The the, uh, Antichrist has got his troops there. Meanwhile, uh, there are many nations that have rebelled against the authority of the Antichrist and they've gathered their armies there in the valley of Jehoshaphat and they have come together to make war with each other when all of a sudden in heaven, heaven is going to open up and a white horse is going to come out of heaven. And the one sitting on the white horse, the Bible said that his vesture is dipped in blood and his name is called the Word of God. Can't you see down here on this earth all those armies look at each other and say, the things now that, that divide us are not near as important as the things that unite us, and they're going to turn all of their artillery upon the white horse and the armies that are in heaven which are following him. Who's that? That's me and you, brother. Amen. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm going to be hanging on for dear life with a parachute on, riding a horse out of heaven, and we're going to come back. And the Bible said that a sword... It's going to proceed out of the mouth of God and destroy all the armies of the Antichrist. I tell you, we're on the winning side, friend. We couldn't lose if we wanted to. Can I say this? It's a fixed fight. It's a done deal before it even started. And Jesus is going to win. Boy, I had one question I wanted to answer, and I'm not going to do it because we've got to go. I was going to answer this question. Can a person who's heard the gospel now be saved in the tribulation period? Because these verses deal with that question, and we're out of time. So we'll have to cover that some other time. All right? Let's bow our heads for prayer.